I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? 1 a.m. here at One Bills Live, and I decided I'm not even going to try to drive home. Let's just do the show right here. Um, the Bills, you know, stick and pick in two different spots. We're going to talk about both new members of the Buffalo Bills roster. We got a chance to talk to Brandon Bean uh, about an hour, hour and a half ago. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I don't know about you, Ryan. I'm exhausted. This this is about the time we get to in in the draft process where we know we have that one final day to go, and it's just like I just start dragging. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I told you I was kind of like sitting in my chair and I did one of the the head nods where uh, wakes you back up when your head falls so far down. But yeah, definitely these late nights get uh, catch up to you. I guess the older we get. So we're going to start with uh, the offensive linemen, but the Bills added. Um, this was an area that we were talking about leading up to the draft. You know, really, the Bills could have, Brandon B. wanted to probably address it in the first round. We, we, we talked about a lot of tackles, some interior players as well, some people that were in on top 30 visits that went in the second round ahead of the Bills. Um, but Osiris Torrance out of Florida lasts all the way to pick 59. This is a guy that the Bills, I'm writing about it now for the site, spent a lot of time on the scouting trail, you know, getting to know this player. Brandon Bean talked about, you know, going to Florida, actually going to a practice and spending time around the coaching staff there, talking to them about Torrance, then getting a chance to really scout him in person across the entire trail, starting at the Senior Bowl. Uh, They talked to him at the Combine and they brought him to Buffalo on a top 30 visit. And what they learned was that this is a guy that fits their culture he is going to probably be a day one starter for them and give them options on the interior of their offensive line. And he is just a mammoth dude at 330 pounds. Mm-hmm. The, the the sheer power that he could play with, that was something that Brandon Bean kept coming back to when talking about Osiris Torrance. I, I love the pick, first of all. Uh, but after it was made, I sat there and I said, you know, they've already kind of attacked the interior of the offensive line in the offseason. They signed Connor McGovern Uh, They bring in David Edwards. They already have some options there in in Bates. And and it's just like, it's a good problem to have. You're going to have some really solid depth this year. So it caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, They could have gone the linebacker out in round two. They end up passing on Drew Sanders. So that also kind of told you how they feel about their linebacker group. But for Torrance himself, Osiris Torrance, a lot of the mock drafts, Matt, leading up to this for the last few months had the Bills taking him at number 27. The fact that they were able to get him at 59 in the second round is a great value. 
Uh, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter who you have. If you feel strongly about this player that he can be a day one starter for you, you go out and get get him because at the end of the day, you want your best five guys out there. You want protection for Josh Allen. You want running lanes to open up for James Cook, Damian Harris and company. And Osiris Torrance, you know, he has that skill set to be able to do that. The I had questions during the pre-draft process in terms of his fit in Aaron Cromer's system. The athleticism, he didn't check all the boxes of what the typical O-lineman looked like in his system. That said, uh, massive human being, strong, didn't give up a sack in his entire college career. Uh, a lot to like about the prospect. So one of the things that Brandon said about him, and I actually asked him a question about, you know, having Aaron Cromer for a season going through the actual games, I asked him about having Aaron Cromer for a year going through kind of the process of getting to know Ken Dorsey. All right, this is what we look for in prospects. You know, Dorsey has been here for a while, the scouting department, and then kind of pairing that with who Aaron Cromer is looking, looking for. And so they, they spent a lot of time, I mentioned on the scouting trail, but together scouting the player. So, you know, you're getting the sign off from everybody in the building and maybe it's not a perfect scheme fit because of the athleticism traits. But one of the things that Brandon Bean emphasized was the ability to anchor with power as an offensive interior lineman, the bills play some really good interior defensive players. I mean, Quinton Williams for the New York jets is a massive problem. They had a problem with him last year. He's a bit of a game wrecker. And I think, Torrance is a guy, he's a version of, the, of an offensive lineman that you don't have on the roster or the inside. And I think this has the potential, Ryan, if you put him in there at left guard, it has the ability to maybe lift Deion Dawkins back to that level at left tackle that we saw him play at in 2021. I think it helps out Mitch Morse. It allows Torrance to kind of use his size. And I know he's not super athletic and super fast, but if they can get the footwork to where they need it to be, have him being able to chip in, help a little bit more on both sides of things. He's a young player. He's huge, 330 pounds, 6'5". I mean, he is just a mountain of a man. And you watch some of the highlights from him at the combine and you come away with, all right, you got to go up against Quinton Williams, Christian Wilkins, Chris Jones for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, go out and get a big dude that has big hands that can that has this unbelievable wingspan and and have him block block all these guys. Yeah, those are the other names I was just about to mention. So I'm glad you did. Uh, I like the move for that very reason. You're going against some really good interior defensive uh, linemen throughout this year, and you want to have someone that can kind of offset them that can give you a chance and. It also, like you said, it, it can move some players around on this offensive line. McGovern, I thought, was a better right guard option than left guard. And when they first signed him, they said, oh, we're going we're to probably try him out at left guard first. Well, if you like Osiris Torrance at left guard, then let McGovern try right guard, where when he had opportunities to play there in Dallas when there were injuries, he looked even better at right guard than he did left guard. So this is really going to give you the freedom to open up your line in terms of figuring out the best two guards, because you already know what you have in Mitch Morris. You already know what you have in Deion Dawkins. You haven't done anything to really push Spencer Brown or give him legit competition. So, you know, I'm I'm going to have him and is that fifth starter right now, but you're at least giving yourself some opportunities here in the summer to figure out what your best combination is. And you're right. It can unlock Deion Dawkins, get him back to that. Pro Bowl status, that all pro type status, Mitch Moore's, it'll only make him better if he has a strong guard next to him or one on each side for that matter. So 
Brandon Bean said at the end of the season, we have to protect Josh Allen, and he's gone out and done that in free agency and now in the draft. Question here in the chat from John about who now becomes the odd man out. And I think that that is something worth diving into a little bit. Ryan Bates, uh, I asked Brandon about where they see him now in, I think it's like year four uh, for him. Obviously just signed that extension. He's played primarily on the inside the last couple of years, but has that tackle flexibility. And he basically alluded to the fact that if they needed him in a pinch to play on the right uh, at a tackle spot, they wouldn't mind finishing a game out with him, but it's not necessarily where he's going to factor. And I saw one fan on Twitter mention like, all right, this move to draft Torrance allows you to maybe move Bates outside, have him compete with Spencer Brown. And then you can, the winner of that gets the right tackle job. I don't think that's the path that they're going to go. I think Bates is, is kind of locked in on the interior. So then you're talking about Connor McGovern, who they gave probably the most amount of money out of the rest of those dudes and I think he'll probably compete with Bates and you know it'll all depend on Torrance if Torrance gets to a place where are you you're ready to roll the ball out for the start of the season and, and you've seen enough from him during the preseason and in training camp that you're like you're comfortable there then yeah it's going to be it's going to come down to two, those two guys and it might be McGovern and it might put Bates in a backup role but in this league, Ryan, like you rarely are going to go through big stretches of the season with five healthy offensive linemen and keep it that way. So you're always one play away. And I think, you know, a guy like Bates having him first off the bench isn't the worst place to be. And then, oh, by the way, you throw in an Ike Bucker in there and a David Edwards. They have a lot of potential options. But if I'm if the pecking order, I'm starting with McGovern. You know, they paid him. I think they really liked him. And specifically, Brandon Bean mentioned the fact that Cromer was heavily involved in that kind of uh, scouting in free agency, the pro with the pro department to figure out a guy that could come in here and and be the guy that they want uh, at guard. So I think, listen, they have options, and I think that's what you need now, at least more options than you did a year ago. Yeah, and, and there's months to figure this out, but I'm agreeing with you. I think it's going to be McGovern, and it's going to be Osiris Torrance as your starting guards potentially. And the reason why I'm going to say that, too, is because of Bates' versatility. And, and sometimes being so ver- versatile can hurt you. The mm. fact that he can play all five spots on the line, the Bills might say, well, you know, that's really valuable for us. Because if we are in a pinch, if we, we get into a situation like we did last year in that Miami game, uh, where they were literally down to their last offensive lineman, they had no one left on the bench because of injuries and the heat and everything else. Then, then you have a good option waiting in the wing. So Bates is almost the, the amount of versatility that he has to play all five spots could come back and hurt him in terms of the starting competition because, well, you know, we paid McGovern a lot of money. Osiris Torrance, we didn't think would be there at 59. It was too good of a value. We want to get this guy out there on the field. That's been one of our biggest issues. If, if you know, if you're thinking as a coach or, or the front office, we haven't given our rookies enough time. This is a, a blue chip prospect, a guy that a lot of people thought was a first round pick and the Bills were able to get him in the second round. Get him out there, work him in. Unless he looks really lost out there, let him take his lumps. Let him go through those early games where he's going to see the strength of some of these defensive linemen that he's going to be going against. You know, one of the things with the the pick here, I, I really felt that Torrance was, to Brandon Bean's point, point significantly sticking out on the board as we approached it. Like Mm -hmm. some of the wide receivers in the moment, I I think that there was some, probably some consideration. I mean, Jalen Hyatt, I think brings a kind of skill set to where, all right, that doesn't really exist currently on the bills roster. So maybe think about that, but we saw how far he actually ended up falling in this draft. And and the bills would have had to, you know, 
the value wasn't necessarily there to take him. And I, I think Downs made a lot less sense for them once they they drafted Kincaid and talked so much about how they wanted to use him. So now that you're in a situation where wide receiver isn't as much of a priority, especially at this spot in the draft. And I think it was a two-pronged approach to this draft. And it just so happened that it, it played out in the first round. Number one, find an elite weapon, one of the elite weapons in this draft. And they did that in Kincaid. And then find a potential rogue grader in the run game. That's one thing that uh, evaluators are writing about him, but just a powerful presence on their offensive line. They're so cognizant of, of finding athleticism and kind of ignoring size in a lot of ways, in a lot of cases that I think to go out and get a big guy, it's almost something I, I really want them to empl- uh, employ when they're addressing needs on the defensive line, whether it be this draft or maybe next year's draft. Yeah. Torrance and Drew Sanders were the two people that stood out to me when the bills got on the clock at 59 and Sanders was more so of the fact that it would have filled one of those big needs that the bills had in terms of replacing Tremaine Edmonds. Oh, we're getting to that big need here in a second. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we heard all about, you know, Sanders is this guy, this potential replacement form, the athleticism, the pass rush, the blitzing, and the bills passed on him. They, they went with Torrance. They showed that they do have some faith in, in the guys in their locker room. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's, that's a pretty big deal. It shows that Bean wasn't bluffing in, in that case. And when it push comes to shove, he's going to stay true to his board and Torrance sticking out and standing out that much more than anyone else on the board. It, it made it an easy decision for the bills. It's so funny watching the operation in New Jersey now with the Giants because they operate so much like how the Bills do. You know, obviously the connection to Joe Shane, but them taking John Michael Schmitz, I would have been interested to see if that wasn't the case and both of those guys were on the board. Schmitz felt like a guy that would fit to what the Bills wanted to do because of that versatility. Because in a lot of ways, I know Torrance said that he played some tackle and he'll play wherever they want him to play. He kind of is like, if you if you go through and you know, read the scouting reports, he is going to fit in primarily probably at that left guard spot, which I don't think is a huge problem because I think like like we mentioned, whether it be on this show or, or shows past, you know, McGovern has played most of his career going back to college at right guard. So I think he'll fit in fine there if that's where he ends up. Um, I think this was just, to your point, a situation situation where best player available with a, a sneaky need and I know we talked about the tackle spot but I think it goes back to how much they believe in Spencer Brown and so they were comfortable with it Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
let's switch gears here real quick. And before we do, uh, another reminder, uh, save the date. It is May 20th. We are locked in. The official event page is up over on my Facebook page. Uh, send me a friend request on uh, Facebook. And all the events are going to live there. Uh, I tweeted out a link to it too on Twitter if you're more comfortable with that uh, platform. But May 20th, Ryan, you'll be up. You'll be up here. We'll do another live show. We'll eat some uh, wings. We'll drink some beers. We'll talk some bills. It's gonna be a good time. Always a good time at Wing Nuts. Uh, Bills Mafia, head out, come hang out with us before and after the show. Stay for the podcast, obviously. And uh, like you said, great wings, great beer, great times. So. The third round uh, draft pick comes around and, you know, you start to look at potentially the options. I, I tweeted out there. I thought one interesting way to go would have been uh, the mammoth tackle uh, Dewan Jones out of Ohio State who slept, uh, slipped in this draft pretty far. And he's still, I think, available. Nobody's taken him yet. Is that correct? He's still on the board? Unless I missed it late, he's still on the board. I think he is. So, you know, maybe a couple other places that they could have gone. You know, Brandon Bean said, you know, they, they drafted Dorian Williams, the linebacker out of Tulane, and we'll get into his fit and, you know, what the expectation is, thoughts on the pick in a second here. But he said that an offensive player ha- that maybe that they had, uh, you know, their eyes on in the third round went a few picks before them. And he didn't know how many picks it was or, or, or whatever in, in, in that case. But I went back and looked. Obviously, Downs went at 79, which would have been, uh, I think, 11 or 12 picks before the Bills. Then Tajay Spears went at 81, the running back out of Tulane. Devon Ashane, the running back out of Texas A&M. And then Tank Bigsby, the running back out of Auburn. I don't know. Maybe maybe they were thinking about another running back. Maybe they're thinking about Josh Downs, but they end up going with Dorian Williams. Uh, let's start off with your thoughts on the pick and you know the fact that if maybe they were really liked uh, a guy, they just didn't have the capital to go up and get him if they wanted one of those. You know, whether it was a running back or a receiver. I hate it, Matt. I, I really hate it. <laughs> the, the pick. <laughs> you know, there's no other way to say it. And I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he ends up being a great player. But this is the second consecutive year that you have taken a linebacker in the third round where you don't have a path for him to play significant reps for this defense. They mm-hmm. said that they're going to start him out as an outside linebacker. They said he's going to play predominantly on special teams. I feel like that's a wasted pick in the third round. In the third round, you should be looking for a guy that you can get on the field. Even if it's, and I would not have been a huge fan of a running back either, but like Spears. He the Bills either had a private workout with him or a Zoom. He was on that list that I compiled. Uh, so maybe he was at Downs, obviously, could come in and, and have a role. I just don't understand the thinking or the thought process here because you have a need at linebacker, but it's not an outside linebacker. You have Matt Milano. Yes, he's been dinged up in his career, but if he gets dinged up, you only have one spot to re- you know to play in his spot and, and or to, to replace him with. And if you keep getting these outside linebackers in the third round that are more special teams guys, I just feel like it's a wasted pick. Yeah, it's it's one that I was I was struggling with because you, you think about the going back to you know the Isaiah McKenzie move, right? When they when they released him and, and a few days before that, Brandon Bean talked about, you know, having a duplicate, not only skill set, but like a duplicate body type, right? Like Deontay Hardy kind of was the new version of that that they decided to go with. They gave him a two-year deal. 
Uh, I think they gave him more money than they ever gave Isaiah McKenzie. So in a lot of ways, they're in their eyes, they're looking at it as an upgrade. And I just feel like a year removed from drafting Terrell Bernard, and I, I know they're probably not same, the same players. Um, obviously, you know the big thing that stands out about Dorian Williams is the speed factor uh, that I think that they probably get excited about with this player. And I just I don't understand, you know, at that spot the value there because I think you could find a similar guy. Like they've been really good at finding those kinds of guys in the in the later rounds. I mean, Matt Milano is the the best example of that. But guys like Taron Johnson, Christian Benford last year in the sixth round, Dane Jackson a couple of years ago, they do pretty well on day three, and they don't have a lot of picks. So you would have thought maybe moving back and 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 finding uh, somebody else. But obviously they like the player. I would agree with you to an extent. I don't know if I'd say I, I hate it necessarily because there wasn't anybody that I was like, you know, I'd pound the table for at that, that spot that was like, you know, this is at a lot of key positions. This is a pretty weak draft. And I think to come away with, you know, three picks on, on the first two days and two of them being guys that really you got ultra value on. I mean, there's not a lot of people that thought Kincaid was going to be available at 25 being included. And then obviously Osiris Torres, to your point earlier, was supposed to be calling it like in the first round. So you're getting great um, value. This is what I started to think about with the Williams pick is Matt Milano started 31 games over the last two seasons. He's been for him really healthy. If he goes down this year, right? And Tyrell Dotson and Terrell Bernard show playing next to, you know, Klein or if, you know, when they're in there with Milano, however that thing kind of works itself out. If they're not the player that you're needing them to be, they're going to need options. And this is a guy that he likes to fly around the field. He's got the speed. He's got the sideline to sideline. And I think they're moving more towards what this tells me, that positionless model. And, And maybe just having, if maybe you get to a point where you're not so much worried about opposing teams running on you because of the way that they've lost the last couple of years. You just want fast guys that can fly to the football guys that are, you know, sure tacklers. And that's another thing about this. And we're going to figure this out because Brandon Bean said that one of the things when they were scouting Williams was that he was a great tackler. And one of the things that stood out to them, but you read some of the scouting reports on him. And that's one of the areas where, you know, evaluators say he has to improve, like being able to, you know, get to the football and when he does get them down and not allow those extra yards and to get dragged on, on tackles and stuff like that. So um, really interesting pick and one that's obviously very divisive. Yeah, it, it will, it'll have to be a wait and see. You have to see how they're going to utilize him as a rookie and uh, I guess even into year two. But to me, the first three rounds are rounds. I don't care if you're picking early in the round or late in the round where you should be able to find someone that can that can have some kind of role on on your offense or on your defense, and you know, Dewan Jones. Uh, when, when we mentioned him on Twitter, people said there were some red flags about him, and and I have not. I have to look into that some more about being late to team meetings, things like that. Mm-hmm. But if that's true, this Bills team has this culture that they've built up over the years, where don't you think you can bring someone in like that, and, and you can you can kind of right the ship with them, get them on the right track. And I'm not even saying that's true about him. That's just what someone was saying in response to our our tweets about Jones. I think at this point, it's okay to take a player that maybe they do have a red flag or two, but could Jones win or or play significant reps on that offensive line at tackle? Yeah, because uh, they have Spencer Brown, or maybe he'd be a swing tackle. Who knows? But there were guys like that. There were some players in the secondary that I know the Bills are, are pretty 
deep depth wise in the secondary too that they could have gone after and pursued with that pick. But they, they went again with this a linebacker, a little undersized to be an inside linebacker. They say he's going to be outside. They say he's going to play special teams. I just don't get it right now. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And, you know, the, the, maybe he's not a good player. And that's there's some of the comments in there are, are, you know, talking about what he would bring. And obviously, you know, right or wrong, the Bills have a level of trust that Spencer Brown is going to be the answer at that spot. And they haven't done a lot on the free agent market addressing the position. And who knows this? We're now in like what the fifth wave of free agency, however you want to do the math. And mm. that's a situation where you can on Monday, start looking for some veterans that maybe are still hanging out there. You know, obviously you're probably shopping in the Bobby Hart section uh, of the supermarket, but you go out and you maybe bring in one or two more guys. I mean, I didn't think David Questenberry was, very good last year, but he was somebody when they signed him coming out of Tennessee, I thought he would, he gave them some valuable reps as a starter the year before, and it just never really worked out. So maybe he could fit into that category that Roger Saffold was talking about where, all right, an off season to, you know, really have that download of, of what it's going to take to be a tackle on Cromer's offensive line and for Ken Dorsey. And he can, upgrade things a little bit just in his own improvement. And then you get Tommy Doyle back at some point and you hope that he could kind of take a jump as well. And and maybe you move him back now with all this interior depth at um, guard, you, you focus him more at that tackle spot and you hope between the three of them, you find at least somebody that can give you um, reliable reps on the outside. I I think Spencer Brown's probably heard a lot of the noise. Uh, I would actually, at this point, I think he's one of the most intriguing players to watch over the next three months to see how he responds, to see how he looks during training camp. And of course, we've seen it before, right? The Isaiah McKenzie camp legend that he became. Everybody was expecting him to kind of take off in in, last season and it just didn't materialize. So you want to be careful with some of that stuff in in camp. Uh, But, you know, the way that they've structured this thing and going out and getting Osiris Torrance, I, I think that they're like, it's Spencer Brown or bust. Yeah, I think that's true. And like you said, if they do address it after uh, the draft is over, it's going to be the Bobby Hart's, the the Brendan Shells of the world. Uh, not guys that are really going to push him for the starting job, but could be a solid swing tackle, could play in a pinch. Uh, it, it's just difficult now to to find a starter on that open market where, yeah, even in the draft, you know, the, the tackles are flying pretty quickly. Bergeron went very quickly in round two. Uh, and, and he might play guard in the NFL more than anything else, too. But it, it goes quick. So I know there's only a limited number of guys, but I figured there could be at least someone that they could bring in and kind of push him along in round three rather than go that same linebacker route that they went last year. I also sneaky think that it's no coincidence that Brandon Bean keeps mentioning Balin Spector's name. Like how many times have we heard his name over the course of the offseason? I think he's somebody that, you know, there's some excitement about the way that he plays and um, giving him a chance to compete. I mean, if you go out and you take a Jack Campbell or a Drew Sanders, I mean, that's a guy that there's going to be an expectation that that player plays. And and maybe they, you know, all of that um, talk about the belief in the guys that they have in the building, maybe it's not bluster and they want to give, you know, that collection of players a chance to go out and earn some time. And let's be honest, like, I'm to the point now where I think we've seen enough. Like you got to be able, I I think Matt Verderam said it great at the beginning of the week. You got to be able to affect the quarterback 
and your quarterback's got to play great football to win games in this league. And I think finding an answer at the linebacker spot next to Milano is important, but I think having Milano is the most important piece of all of this. And then you can kind of, you know, work guys in and see which one fits the best and go with that direction. And this defensive line has to be better. Um, I think it's interesting that they haven't addressed that. I mean, they're, they're at a place now where they're, they're, they're running that thing back exactly with the nine that they had from a year ago. And I think that's an interesting kind of storyline to track as well. Yeah, it is. And D D lineman uh, outside edge or inside, they go quick. There's still some defensive tackle options uh, for the Bills, and Brandon Bean has mentioned the fact that you know all the guys have expiring deals currently on this team. So maybe they go with a D tackle tomorrow. Maybe they go in the undraft free agent market, or in May, in early May, you can start signing players, and they don't count against the compensatory pick formula. So there are still a lot of defensive tackles and edge rushers, for that matter, out on the market still that you could pursue if truly interested. PJ has asked this a couple of times. I missed the first time. Maybe they see Matt Milano moving to middle linebacker and having Bernard and Williams duke it out uh, for the outside linebacker spot. I feel like Bean put the kibosh on that earlier yeah. in the offseason when he was asked about that point blank. But I think that you get to camp and you start rolling some different things and Sean McDermott takes a look at some different things and and maybe maybe they kind of adjust on the fly and maybe that is something that ends up making sense. We'll kind of track that throughout the course of the season, but I think it's going to be about being positionless, being able to move them around into different things. And the fact that they have two linebackers on the field most of the time later, that's the last of them getting out of here, um, <laughs> burning the midnight oil. You know, I think they just become more interchangeable naturally anyway. Yeah. And that's fair. And you kind of mentioned the fact that on this D line, you know, you have Daquan Jones, you, you have Ed Oliver, you still have guys this four capable defensive tackles, and, and maybe the Bills are just kind of thinking, okay, uh, if we did add one in the draft, well, then it's going to be tough to kind of fit them all under the fifty-three man roster, and uh, we do have guys that can affect the quarterback. When Von Miller comes back, he was doing a good job of that last year. Greg Rousseau has taken that leap. Uh, we have Milano is still a linebacker. We have a really strong secondary. You're not going to have 11 pro bowlers, all pro, great players across the board. Every team has one or two spots that are considered a weakness, even on both sides of the ball. So uh, I, the Bills are kind of running it back on defense as of right now, but th there's still time between now and that first game uh, in September for the Bills to also maybe find some different players, some different options uh, and kind of change things up to a certain extent. This has been uh, a late, late night edition. The second straight day. Uh, I hope that you uh, enjoy the content. We enjoy bringing it to you. Uh, hit that like button. Subscribe before you go on YouTube. Remember, May 20th, Wingnut, 700 Military Road. Ryan will be there. I will be there. We're going to have a fun time. Day three tomorrow. We will be right back uh, to cover that for you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.